You know, it's breaking my wife's heart to look down and see what a mess I have made of this family. What an embarrassment we are, the sacrifice it took to give us a home. And I'll tell you what. Sacrifice is exactly what we're going to do. It's what you're going to do, James. You're going to sacrifice your ambition. You're going to sacrifice your fear, your weak, self-loathing heart. You're going to kill all that. You're going to get strong, no matter how it scares you. Or how much you disagree, you're going to do exactly what the fuck I tell you for the next four years. Exactly. Make no mistake, I love Montana, but I'm doing this for our ranch. We measure every decision against what is good for the ranch. The ranch comes first, you understand me? This is Steph. This is Sheila. And welcome back to our Pod Clubhouse coverage of Yellowstone. We are so excited to be back for season five. This is so awesome. I'm excited. Today, we are covering our first episode of the season titled 100 Years is Nothing. Sounds like an ominous title. Oh, yeah. First of all, hey, welcome back. It's been a while. (laughs) Okay. Like, how long has it been, though? Like a year Uh, or something? January? Okay, well, it's November, so that's close enough to a close year. Close enough for government work, I suppose. Sheesh. And we had a lot of government work this episode. Oh my gosh, the government stuff is so confusing. Before we start, though, we are going to assume that y'all have seen these episodes, right? We're covering episode one here of season five, so we're going to assume that you've seen it. So there will be spoilers. This is what we do. We talk in depth about the episode. So exactly. if you haven't watched, you've been warned. So later on, at the end of episode two, we have something really special. We have an interview with uh, Chairman Thomas Rainwater himself. Gil Birmingham joins us for an exclusive interview. So you can hear that at the end of episode two coverage, which should be coming out right after this one, seeing as how we have a big blockbuster two-hour season premiere. That is so exciting. We've had some cool interviews. Yes, we have. And they teased out that there's more to come this season, more interviews to come with some more of the cast. So I got to do the interview with Gil. I was very excited to do that. That was last week and I was mired in the muck of my own life. So I had something fun and exciting to look forward to. And I was just and he did not disappoint. He was great. It was funny because I w- on the group chat, I also thought that you guys were mentioning Ryan Bingham. <laughs> and so I was like, wait, what? Huh? Who? Huh? I'm there. What time? Where can I be? And you were like, no. So if an interview with Ryan Bingham comes up, I call dibs. Oh, hell yes. Well, we would have to arm wrestle for it. um, I will fight you, girl. No, I think that you and I could work together and I can just manage to shut up for five minutes. I think we work well together. I think so, too. This is season five of us working together. I'm so excited. It's so good to be back. I've missed my Yellowstone podcast. I've missed my podcast in general. 
Same. It's been a crazy year. Um, yes. Just busy. Missed, so you know, we've missed the feedback from you guys too that are listening. I know. So um, always thank you for the five star reviews. Thank you for the comments. Everything that you give us, it, it helps us make the show just that much better. So keep those five star reviews coming. We appreciate them. Yeah, and please tweet us or message us, comment on the podcast, anything. We'd love to hear from you so that we can respond back to you on our next episode. And maybe give you a shout out in the show. Yeah. I get in-person comments too, so I get feedback from like my friends. (laughs) So so let's start by recapping what happened in season four because that feels like so long ago. That was forever ago, but that was a pretty dramatic ending. Well, it was less dramatic for me than season three of an exactly, ending, right? Season, yes. end, season three end, you know, gave us like the John was Swiss cheese. Beth was, you know, blown to smithereens. Yeah. That one was really dramatic. Yes. I didn't have fingernails left after that one. But, you know, notwithstanding, <laughs> yeah. season four had its own cliffhangers and, you know, just really big question marks. Let, yeah. All right. So let's just go into that season four recap quickly. Yeah. So Casey has this vision, like I feel like that was like the big thing where it ends up that he has two paths in front of him and one is the end of us. What did you see? I saw the end of us. Mm-hmm. Whatever that means. We don't know what that means. We didn't get to see what that means. Although we did get to see Lee for a hot five seconds as a scary vampire version of himself. <laughs> Yikes. And then, but we don't know what the other path is, right? All he says is, I I saw the end of us, and then he saw this path on the right, which he didn't seem to have sort of the same reaction to. He he had a visceral reaction to the path on the left. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's going to play into this season heavily. Yeah. It has to. um, Something as big as that. And then this was even teased out in the preview of this episode going like this episode's recap of season four summer higgins right we remember yeah. her she mm-hmm. was the um environmental terrorist and i think that's what yeah. she was labeled i thought that was a little harsh somehow ended up at the ranch overnight but then also found herself in jail yes for uh initially it was 37 and a half years um mm-hmm. and then it got commuted down to I think it said eligible for parole after 14 years. 14 years. But then John kind of bamboozles the judge afterwards using some of his, um, I guess, his political influence or his ominous threatening position (laughs) just in and of himself. And, you know, just knowing that Rip is in his back pocket, I suppose, kind of bamboozles and strong arms the judge into reducing the sentence down to something along the lines of eight months. Given the timeline of I'm going to use Monica's pregnancy as our timeline. Um we're coming upon about eight months from the time that she would have been sent to jail, so... Here's what's going to happen. Charlotte's going to appeal the sentence. You will suspend the felony assaults. I won't. The major point. I show some goddamn mercy. Suspend the felony assaults. Reduce the trespass to a year. You can keep all the others. She'll be out in eight months. Yeah. Yeah, eight months of hell. She didn't appear in this episode. I'm sure she's going to make some sort of a reappearance because they would not have invested that length of a storyline for her to just disappear after. Right. Weren't we talking that she's also married to one of the executive producers? So yeah, exactly. Like in real life, so she she'll be there. Directed several episodes mm-hmm. as well. So yeah, so we we feel that uh, Piper Perabu is kind of here for a little bit. I would like to see her back. I enjoyed her. Um, <laughs> 
cat fight with Beth. We should do some more of that. Yes. That was fun. Yes. Mm-hmm. And also just the fact that John has some sort of human feelings for another person, you know, because he's really been walled off. Yes, he yeah. has Linnell to a certain extent, and, and their flirty banter in season four was just adorable. But I also just feel that Linnell was not really the love interest for him. No. But like, whereas like Summer, he put himself out there in a very short amount of time. But it was just nice to see that he had those kinds of emotions for somebody else because he'd really right. kind of clo- like what we've seen of him so far over these four seasons, four years, is a closed off individual. Right. You know, he's not able to show love easily, not to his children. So it was just good to see. So I, I want to see more of that, just exploring of that side of his character as well. Yeah. Beth finds herself at the end of season four in a bad situation. Yeah. She is working for Market Equities up until a point where she is then fired by Market, market <laughs> Equities for corporate espionage involving Summer. It was a whole trap that that got set up to make market equities look bad. So the threat of Beth going to prison was looming. And that for me was like the biggest question mark is like, uh, how does John survive the ranch dealings without his pit bull, without his attack dog? I liked the way that Caroline Warner like worded it. She said she knew what she was doing too, like bringing Beth in. And she said, I gave you enough rope to hang yourself and you did just that. So I expected as we come into season five, to see, yeah, something going on with Beth. If she is she in jail? Is she being, you know, she's at least sued or something? Jumpsuit. I was really yeah, expecting it, to see her next to Summer in the cell. <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be awesome! Fight. I got a prison right? cat fight. So yeah, we were like sort of expecting to see an update on that situation. The final thing is closing the episode is Jamie shooting his dad in the head. Yeah. I love you too, Dad. And then Beth finding the cleat, like at the train station, witnessing the cleanup. Yeah, so that's like the end of the episode is that she's, you know, standing there with evidence and, you know, I own you now and all that jazz. She likes all to that. threaten Jamie a lot. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I didn't know sort of how far in advance we would get. But yeah, I had some questions after this first episode. I don't know. It seemed to sort of not connect all the dots for me, which I know we have a season to go, but it seems like the timeline has been about Monica's pregnancy. So we're seeing her fully pregnant, which is nine months. So I'm questioning, like, why is Jamie just like hanging around now without any sort of... understanding of what their relationship is like now with him and John. And so I had some questions about that. Is he sort of some, some sort of endangered, endangered? What am I saying? What's it called? Indentured servitude where he has to just like be there and be like, give me a cup of coffee and give me that. Like what is happening? Yeah. He's now like the doormat. And yeah. But why? Like, why weren't, I don't know. They weren't even like wanting to be in the same room with him. And now he's there all the time. That was confusing to me. There was really no answer at all about Beth and her sort of legal situation with market equity. So she seemed to have come away from that unscathed or even affected at all. As you said, there was no connection back to that episode. So the only throwbacks to season four so far that we've seen are Monica's pregnancy and John Mm -hmm. 
he was a shoe in for the governorship. Like, let's be honest. We knew that at the end of season four, that there was no way yeah. he wasn't going to win. But I'm, I'm hoping that we get some sort of backfill on mm-hmm. Beth and this corporate espionage. Espion- oh, my God. I can't that and Jamie were my two big, like, I can make, you can make leaps and far, oh, he ran for governor. That's what was been happening. He's been campaigning, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's fine. But for Jamie to suddenly be in the room every time that John's in a scene, that was a big question for me. Like, how did that happen? And then the same with Beth for her to have, you know, she's not in court. She's not in jail. She's not. She's just campaigning. So what happened? How did we get there? So those were my big questions. Oh, before we go any further into what happened in the season opener, I actually got to see the season opener in the movie theater. Oh, that's right. So there was this one weekend only of a Saturday-Sunday premiere of the first episode of Yellowstone for season five and the premiere of The Tulsa King, which is another Tyler Sheridan series starring Sylvester Stallone. And I have to say, I enjoyed both. Seeing this on the big screen was very much of a wow factor. Like I could really appreciate like the cinematography. It wowed me to the point that I was just like, oh, wow, like this was a really great season opener. And then when I started like, when I came back to my rinky dink iPad of (laughs) watching it on my iPad, I'm like, wait a second, we're missing some of that storyline connection back and you know so i feel like seeing in the movie theater kind of like lulled me into a false sense of security with this don't get me wrong i'm excited to have yellowstone back and i also learned from entertainment tonight that there's 14 episodes this season really yeah oh my goodness i did not know that i different we only get these episodes like literally like a couple of days before the series airs like basically so we don't get you know like the full season drop and we don't we haven't gotten the finale the last two years We've had to watch it like everybody else and then do our podcast after the fact. So, right. so we yeah. don't get a lot of time with this beforehand. So the fact that I got to see it like a week ahead of time before we got the screeners was pretty cool. Yeah, I was so bummed because I could, it was sort of, you know, last minute that we found out about this. I don't remember what it was, but it was just it was literally not like possible at all. Yeah, yeah, like there's no way I could have made it. I had, you know, I don't know, a wedding or something yeah, significant. Yeah. Life, so just life I happening. was like, oh no, I really, really want to go, but it's just not possible. So that was a bummer. Yeah. But then when you told me that it was only that first episode and not the full, you know, Two premiere, hours, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, fine. I, I didn't miss out on that much. You know me, I don't like missing out on things. No, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> All right. So you ready right. to dive into season five, yeah. episode one? Let's do it. So, John. John, yeah. it opens up with John winning the governorship. Was that a surprise? And he is, no, it's not a surprise, but he, exactly. So not a surprise, but he is very unhappy about this situation. I mean, yeah. he looks devastated, but yet this is exactly what he wanted, but it's not what he wanted because he doesn't want to be a politician. He doesn't want to be a governor. Right. He just has to at this point to protect his ranch. It was almost like a temper tantrum. Not really because he wasn't like fussing, but he was like literally just sitting there all alone, like sad and depressed. Like, sitting in a bathroom by himself. I need a drink. You know, staring yeah. off into the distance. <laughs> I mean, he was not even pretending to be happy. And uh, Beth is crying tears of joy. I'm like, yeah. oh, please. Come on now. Okay. Side note, though, like um, random thought. I thought her hair looked so different. It's like super blonde and looks really weird to me. Just FYI. Oh, so yeah. I just noticed, noticed it was that was longer. I, re- I didn't really know. I just thought it looked really weird. I was like, what's wrong with her hair? <laughs> <laughs> Who is that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, yeah, he's not happy. 
So I have a question So about his opponent. So his opponent, you know, mm-hmm. when he concedes, he says that he's a nine-year native of Montana. Mm-hmm. Like, seriously, Democratic Party of Montana, could you not have found somebody who at least had some sort of similar lineage to a John Dutton, you know, this five generation, you know, fifth, yeah. sorry, let's say that again, that this fifth generation rancher as opposed to a nine year native? I mean, no Montana native is going to be like, oh, yeah, let me take the new guy over, <laughs> you know, the person who, what does Jamie say that his family arrived in Montana six years before it was founded? Before as a it became state. a state. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there was really like a a lack of candidate character, I guess, on the other side that could have withstood a Dutton election run, I think. If you're running a campaign against John Dutton, it seems like there's a lot of questionable history with his family that you could just sort of drag up. But yeah, there's really not much else you can oppose him on. Like he's a, a staple. Like it's like, I don't know if you like Mattress Mac of Houston, like you know, he belongs here. He is Houston. He represents Houston. Like if he was running for mayor, the guy would win. Like, yeah. so it's kind of yeah, like, like that. Like, like an institution, like the Duttons are an institution yes, in Montana. They're an institution. So it, they belong here. They are Montana. So you're right. Like a nine year resident. It's like, eh. It's like you're in your infancy and these, these people are, you know, a storied family. And he was like livestock mm-hmm. commissioner and he's he's been sort of part of all of the wheels of power in the state, notwithstanding his children's roles in, in the various avenues of justice and, and power within the state. But then also now Linnell is now elected senator right. of Montana and now she's heading to Washington. So what do you think the significance of her being a senator means for John? Uh, like she said that she ha- he has like a voice in Washington. So anything that sort of comes from the federal level, she has like a way to help him maneuver, manipulate that. So, I mean, it's definitely, you know, not a power couple, cause but you know what I mean? Like they definitely can, you know, work together. Like she said, passing bills or whatever it is that he wants to do. She has that voice now in Washington. So I definitely think that that was like well played, well planned out on their part. I think it's a big deal. I mean, he's so, he literally is so black and white. Like, I don't want any more progress. Like, I want to cancel this. Like, so if you don't, if you're not on his one side and there is no sort of gray area with him, there's going to be some challenges there, especially for John. You're starting to see this in this episode. And the next one is that he's, he doesn't want to play this political game. So he really needs her at this point to sort of maneuver through this because otherwise he would just be pissing off a lot of people and not getting anything done. I mean, that that was like perfectly said. He's not in this for the long haul. Yeah. From from the way that he's you know framing his policy. And I feel like he's going to need her if yeah. Markwood Equity flexes their muscles based on the actions that he starts to take with this very episode. Well, I mean, he's going to need her on all levels, like even all of those other commissions and alliances and all the things that this person wants, to, this education initiative, all those things like she is going to have to sort of translate and navigate all that. She said for a month, um, you know, or whatever. I'm not sure if I'm thinking of the next episode, but she's not there to hold his hand the whole time. But he definitely is going to need her support and smoothing over his rough edges with all these other politicians who want to play that game and want to, I do you a favor, you do me a favor, like that kind of situation. I mean, I think it's very important that she was elected. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, one thing I really, I like about John is he gives a good speech 
I don't know. I like when he does these public speeches. I just think the way he words things and the way he doesn't sound like he's reading, you know, a speech written by his campaign manager, you know. Oh, definitely. And it just comes across very genuine and real. And I just like the way that he speaks to the crowd. But it's so funny with the things he's saying. I'm thinking like, dude, almost how did you get elected? If you're being that harsh with your words, like I'm the wall that progress bashes again. Like, I don't know. (laughs) It's sort of not very progressive, peaceful. Yeah. (laughs) Progressive speak. So as somebody who lives in a state that he took aim at in his speech, he took aim at the Californians and the New Yorkers who had come to Montana. I was like, hey, right? like, what have we done to you, Mr. Montana? You're like, hello. Like, what did I ever do to you? But I'm going to go back to something that you said about how you much you like John when he does speeches and things like that. I'm going to bring the listeners back to our prior coverage of Yellowstone. The first couple of seasons or the first couple of, yeah, so the first couple of seasons that we covered of Yellowstone, the opening intro was one of the speeches that John gave at like a livestock commission dinner saying, you know, dear Mm -hmm. Lord, like, you know, give us rain and, you know, we'll do the rest. And it was very heartfelt and it was very genuine. So I agree with you from what he said. Like it, it came from the heart, even if we don't like what he said. And, mm-hmm. you know, we don't like what he said because it's not thinking about all of Montana. We know his true motivation. Right. And he even says at this episode when they're driving back in the car, you know, everything for the next four years is about the ranch and what's good for the ranch. You know, also what you said, like, I am the wall that progress bashes against. This is going to be his friction point this season. Yeah. That he's really going to have to have this, like, come to Jesus moment where he's got to make a decision. So my next question was, like, do you think that John lasts four years as a governor? Mm. I mean, this is going to be really painful for him. He doesn't even want to do this. I kind of have some issues with the fact that he is the governor in general, because uh, it still it goes back to Jamie for me. Like, there's so many good, bad things about him, but I still think, like, he's a better politician. Like, to me, it seems, I think we can get into this more later, but I just wanted to point out that it feels so prideful or stubborn or just short-sighted of John to be like, nope, I'm going to do it because I don't like you. I don't trust you, whatever. But really, Jamie would have been so much better at this. And John would be less miserable with the fact that now he's going to go to all these committee meetings and luncheons and crap. And like, you couldn't see the bigger picture for your hate for him or your disgust for him or whatever the case may be. There's lots of things to debate on that topic, but I'm pointing out just high level that he really should have found a way to get over it and just let Jamie do this. (laughs) Just because it is going to make him miserable. Like, he's not, he doesn't want to do this. No, but he also mentioned how how little faith he had in Jamie's ability to do the job. He mentioned when they were driving back, like, yeah, you could have won, but then what? But to Linnell's point, like, he's right, like, Jamie knows the law. He knows, like, he is trying to protect the ranch. He's just not doing it in the way that you want him to. So, like I said, we need our lawyer on staff for this um, whole conversation because it gets really muddy. But on the highest level is that Jamie understands how it works legally. Right. He understands the wheels of government and how he is trying to protect the ranch Mm -hmm. in that certain way. And so I feel like John would have been 
wise to figure out how to work with him. But I agree. I know what you're saying. Like he, he, he can't be trusted kind of situation, but I do feel like they're being a little dramatic about it. I, <laughs> I mean, Beth told him to shoot his dad and he did like, uh, it's, I go around and around I'm like, come on guys. But I mean, I also come back to John like, when I asked the question about like, does he last the four years in office? I mean, to the point that on election night, he's accepting the role as governor in jeans. He doesn't have the formality or the gravitas. I don't know what the right word is, but he's not taking this as seriously as it's going to take him. Exactly. I feel like both of his speeches on election night and at the inauguration was basically just him having a temper tantrum, a very self-serving rather than serving the will of the people. And it was about yeah. 37 seconds long, both of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Both speeches were like so short. There's no laying out of his plan for Montana for the next four years. It's like, nope, I'm going to be a steward of the land. Well, what does that mean? Yeah. I'm going to, you know, double property taxes for non-residents. Okay, great. That's kind of hard to do. Like, you know, how does that help me as a resident? You know, like right, I'm, I'm a, know. a fifth generation rancher too. How does doubling the property taxes on non-residents help me because they'll just leave? There's no reaching out. There's no, none of the things that a politician does like to, I keep saying, grease the wheels of government because that's literally yeah. what has to happen. So let me ask you this question. Why do you yeah. think he took so long to take the oath of office? <laughs> I was so uncomfortable watching this. Scene. I was so I was just, awkward. Just like, come on, like, are you having a stroke here, sir? What's going on? That, yeah, that is not a confident move. I was like, oh no. Uh, yeah, I think he's really questioning. Like, okay, this is going to be like, like, it's not what he wants to do. He doesn't want to spend four years in an office. He wants to spend four years on the back of his horse. So it's a big hurdle for him to get over, I guess. He's like trying to be honest, I guess, and say the words with conviction. But he's like, I can't, I can't yeah. do it. It's like, I, I, if I say it, then I gotta do it. Yeah, I exactly. Do it. Again, there was like, like one of those um, America's Funniest Home Videos where there was like the wedding vows, and she was like, to love and to honor, and then the priest goes to obey, and she was like, mm. obey, <laughs> and he was like to obey, and she just stood there. Like, he was like, not saying that. So it was like that. Like he was like, mm. yeah. I don't know if I can say it. It was just awkward, and I think that summed up, like, if anybody was on the fence about what John didn't want to do here, that spelled it out for them very easily. Exactly. They're driving back in the car. So, right, so they're driving back from the inauguration, back to the ranch for the inaugural ball. First of all, the conversation just... It made me it made me laugh between just the banter between Jamie and Beth about who's going to prison and you know and all the rest of it. And just the look that Jamie gives him when he's about to take the sip. It was just if you could have captured just four four or five seasons of just hatred in that one look was great. Yes. But the question I that I have is that John makes this statement in the car about how his wife looks down on him for the mess he's made of this family. Yeah. For me, the irony of that statement is it's just ridiculous. John's the governor. Jamie's the attorney general. Casey is the livestock commissioner. Yeah. Like, they're not doing too bad on paper. Right. Like, I, I get it. But, like, why do you think John says this? Is this guilt on his part for, like, Jamie and Beth and how, like, he wants them to maybe play nice and remember their shared history? That's the only thing that I could come up with. I wanted to get your take. Why do you think yeah. he says this? I see what you're saying. It's almost like... a. Failure of an actual family, though. Like, they are not a family. No. Do you know? No, they're a business. They're yeah. Employees. Like, they, they, like you said, they have all the accolades. They have this huge ranch. They have all the things. But what they don't have is a family. 
I have, you know, we have had our own conversations about Evelyn Dutton, but to me, that's kind of what he meant. Like, it's a mess of a family. Like, this is not a family. And for the sibling, the siblings to be treating each other like that and talking to each other like that's just, ugh, it's a mess. It is. It's an embarrassment. It's like your toddlers pouting at each other on the state. Like, okay, guys. Right. Or it's like witnessing like their temper tantrum in the middle of like Target or something like that. Yeah. Like, and I feel like this is on the, the, the statewide stage for them mm-hmm. to see all of this. So I guess, yeah, I think the I like only thing that really could mean is that they aren't a fi- an actual family. Like there's, They're that's, a not how, that's not how people treat each other. Right. <laughs> that's, oh my gosh, the scene in the car though, she is such a bitch. Oh my God. Yeah, like, I just can't. Uh, I'm getting a little fed up. It is getting a bit much. Yes, especially... I know you hate him because of the hysterectomy oh and, and all of that, you know, like, that geez. bad blood. But I mean, for God's sakes, like it's time to develop a new storyline. Exactly. Or at least I, a new angle I with thought him. it was so funny. <laughs> like they're talking about what to do and this and that. And, and Jamie just mumbles under his breath. He's like, oh, we're all going to prison. Yes, <laughs> like, that was the yes, scene. And then he like looks at her. He's about to take a sip of the drink that she <laughs> so wouldn't pour funny. him. She's like, I will not. Like, at some point, like, I feel like they all should just go to jail. <laughs> just need to be away from each other for a little bit, I suppose. Right. Oh, just before we move on from John, I do have one thing that I did notice from especially the trailers that were leading up to this episode dropping. And then we were talking with some of our Pod Clubhouse colleagues, too, because they've all seen it the, this episode as well. We see John's shoulders a lot. And and I liked when Paul brought up, shout out to Paul, um, hey, he, Paul. Brought, he brought up John's shoulders. We're seeing a lot in the trailers and you see it a lot in this episode, like he's walking down the hall towards his election night speech. And it's it's the view of his shoulders. And also when he's walking towards the inauguration, like there's a couple of different times that we see him and his shoulders. And Paul thought, you know, maybe this was like symbolic of like the weight that he's carrying around. And we're, I think we might be seeing some of the cracks in that from this statement that he made about like his Evelyn looking down on him and the mess that he's made. Mm-hmm. And now also then shouldering the burden of being the governor of this role that he doesn't want. Do you think that that's a fair assessment of the shoulder scene? <laughs> I do think that television shows, especially ones as well-written as Yellowstone, have a lot of these important factors like that that aren't necessarily front and center, but that do mean something. So I could totally see that in the cinematography or even, you know, the way that the director shot it is, yeah, those things matter when, you know, you're shooting a TV show. Is that showing certain angles of people or certain scenes, the way it's shot adds to it. So I could definitely see that the way they're shooting him is adding that like symbolism to it. Cause I think that a good director and a good writer do include things like that. So I could totally see that. And then I just um, have to include Caroline's point here that Taylor Sheridan is always going to get her following cowboys in black suits and hats from oh behind. Gosh, that yes. lighting contrast she said is sexy as hell. Yeah. And it is powerful imagery. There is something about that big black cowboy hat that mm-hmm. when you walk into the room, it, it, it helps to fill the room with that personality. It's just like, I am not going to take any prisoners when I walk into this room. So I yeah. like the fact that we see that imagery as well with John, especially John with walking with the shoulders. Like he's always wearing that hat. Like it's almost like yes. an extension of his personality. Yeah, it is. And it is sexy as hell. Same with Rip. Like he always, he has to have a black hat. Like he would never wear a tan hat. Oh my gosh. He did when he was younger. We saw that in the flashback, but he has abandoned that once he became a man. Once he became a man. Once he became a man. Sorry, I don't don't have a deep voice. 
Uh, so yeah, I think that all of those little things matter a lot in TV shows and movies. And we've also seen how intentional things are in this show. Like there's really anything that's kind of left on the table that didn't have some sort of symbolic meaning. So um, that's why, you know, when Paul mentioned it, I was like, all right, let me, let me give that a little, little noodle around the brain and see where that goes. Mm -hmm. Moving on from John, because we spent a lot of time talking about John. Although this was really, you know, John's setup episode. Yeah. But now you mentioned Jamie as being front and center in the room with John for every waking moment. So I wanted to ask, how much can we trust Jamie's advice to John now, given all I'm going to I'm going to go all of the things that we've seen all the way back to season one. Yeah, let's do that, please, because I I don't know. I still feel not on his side. But yeah, like, tell me why you can't been a Jamie supporter and you've kind of, you know, brought me back a few times, you know, with Jamie's humanity (laughs) when I was just like, he's just a sniveling little bastard. (laughs) So, you know, Jamie has betrayed the Dutton family time and time again. Right. He did that tell all article back in season one, which didn't come out. Okay, which didn't come out. And, you know, it it did. No, it didn't come out. No, it didn't come out. You're right. That's right. It yeah. didn't come out, but there's the fact that he sat down with a reporter and then he tried to fix it, but he fixed it in a way that just spells more trouble for Jamie. And now that Rip knows, I don't know if he would ever share that with Beth, but it's just, there's so much that Jamie has done that has eroded the trust of John. I'm going to say just John, because we can't include Beth in this because she just hates him all day yeah, long. Regardless, it doesn't matter. Right. But John mm-hmm. has a soft spot for Jamie as much as he's treated him like garbage. And you and I have talked about this at length. Mm-hmm. He treats him like garbage, but he still comes back to Jamie. He still treats him as a member of the family. And I'm going to use that family word very lightly. <laughs> um, just no, given what you said before, because yeah. I agree with that. And it's not a functional family. But Jamie's also proven himself to be a good steward of the Dutton land. You know, even yeah. last season when he leased the land to market equities, we learned that the lease was the way to save the ranch. Right. That it it guarantees certain uh, stipulations for the Duttons. They get revenue from it rather than outright sell it where then they have no stake to it anymore. So my question then is like, how much can we trust Jamie now? I still feel sort of on Jamie's side. Okay. A little bit because why can't you trust him? Yeah, he's cowardly or whatever. He makes mistakes. He's stupid. Like, he's easily swayed. He's this, he's that. All of his negative qualities, he's still doing what you ask him to do. He is like your puppet that you can use. And he has these sort of moments where he tries to go out on his own. And I don't feel like that's a betrayal necessarily. Like, he didn't betray John by, like, getting his own ranch. And I don't know. I just don't feel like he's done all that much to warrant that level of treatment from his family. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Remind me of all the, like, let's, you know, like give me a list because I don't know that it's justified other than he doesn't have a strong foundation and a strong conviction. And he is sort of easily swayed by these scenarios or situations that people can sort of get in his head. But at the end of the day, He really hasn't done all that much that you didn't want him to do. Like, I mean, Beth told him he had to kill his his dad or else Rip would rip you to pieces. And so he did. But then she's in this episode like, well, we all know what you did. You know, it's like, but that's what you told him to do. 
He's just doing what he told him to do. So I just feel like they use him a lot and he does what they say. So like why the level of treatment? I kind of just don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. I do. Definitely. And I think Jamie's probably one of the most complex characters in this show. I really like him as a character just because it's so complicated. He has every reason to turn his back on this family and never yeah. return. And why is he still here, actually? Well, like, I would have been long really gone by now. But down to. And I do still want the answer to his mother's lineage. I'm still not convinced that he's not a Dutton. You know, I, I feel that whoever Mama Randall was, I, I feel that there is some sort of close connection because otherwise, how would he have landed with the Duttons? I would literally wrote in my notes, like, why is he here? Yeah. I don't understand why Jamie's still sticking around. I don't understand why if he's such a horrible, untrustworthy person, why is he in the room with you and in the car with you and every scene with you? Like, you could have fired him and appointed a new AG. Yeah. And you know, he, he has the legal... The legal knowledge. He's trying to help you save the ranch. You put the ranch in the, you know, lease the land, blah, blah, blah. Linnell's saying he's right. He knows what he's talking about. He's doing what's best for you. And yet you still don't sort of believe him. Or trust him. Um, or trust him. So I'm thinking, why is this happening? Like, just kick him out. Jamie, you should just leave. Like, th- why are you here? Yeah, right. I feel like he's trustworthy for now. And yeah. I'm going to say that, like, with a I very think he's big scared. He's scared. Because death. now Beth has... A very big weight above his head, you know, like it's like almost like a cartoon. Like he's got the anvil over his head, and the rope is loosening, yeah. and she's loosening the rope. Going, he he he. <laughs> you know, I literally feel like at some point, you know, he's going to be wooed by the next big thing. Exactly, he and, can be easily swayed, which I get, and I think that that's probably what's coming as some sort of plot or scenario where he has to choose. But really, at what point, he doesn't have that much power right now in the sort of Dutton world. Only in the state house does he have the power right now, because he's the one who has to carry out, or not carry out, John's will. Yeah. In the legal world. I don't think that, I mean, well, I guess maybe money, if he stands to inherit, if he's still on the trust. But other than that, I'd be packing my bags and be sitting my booty in Mexico, sipping some margaritas. Right. I'd be like, y'all have fun with this. I'm out. (laughs) Peace out. Yeah. Why are we here? (laughs) And then it also just makes me wonder now if Beth and Jamie have to be kind of working together on a day-to-day basis, at what point does John lose his shit with these two? (laughs) We saw a little bit of it today, right, in tonight's episode where, you know, he has... It's like I told my kids last night, I am literally going to sit you in separate rooms. You cannot talk to each other. Like, that's how it is. Just separate them at this point. these kids are 40 plus years old. Exactly. (laughs) Mine are nine. kids are still in elementary school, so, you know... They get a pass. These exactly. two, you know, and even, you know, without teasing anything for the next episode, we'll talk about that in the next episode. There's just more of this just hatred between them that I'm just like, I'm fed up with it now. Yeah, it's getting a bit much. Beth has to kill him in order for this to resolve. <laughs> or Rip has to kill uh, yeah? him in order for this to resolve. I don't want to see that happen to Jamie because like no. I said, like I enjoyed the complexity of his character and the struggle to belong, I feel, for him is so much at the forefront of his mind. And having to kill his dad and, and all of the rest, all of the things that go into this makes him just a complex character. And yet he mm-hmm. stays and yet he still does right by these people who have, yes, they took him in. Yes, they raised him as their own. They gave him the Dutton name, but they didn't afford him the same level of love 
respect yeah. that was given to Casey, to Beth, to Lee throughout. And you, you and I have talked about that in prior episodes before the big reveal happened that Jamie was adopted. Yeah. You know, like, why does John treat him like dirt? Yeah, it's always been there. It's always been one of the things we talked about. It's like, why? Why right. do they hate him so much? Why do they treat him like this? Sort of, we had our questions, quote unquote, answered, but it still almost doesn't seem justified. So it's a big question for me. I just don't get it. Yeah. And like I said, like I, I want to see the complexity of his relationship with the Duttons kind of develop, but like they need to tone down the Beth angle yeah. somehow, you know, it just let him be who he is going to be without this. I mean, I, I'm reluctant to say, but it's kind of like cartoony at this point. Yeah. You know, yes, well, this... you, you could hate somebody, but you also have to like, you know, as mm -hmm. a storyline, we got to move on from it. Exactly. And that kind of brings us to a little bit of, maybe we can transition into the whole Beth and Rip situation. But he says that too. Rip tells her, you need something else to hate, to something else to fight. Yes. And at this point, it applies to Jamie too. Like you, you got to move on. Enough is enough. <laughs> Well, you know, so. that's actually a really great segue because, like, we get this flashback, too. And we'll talk about the flashback. But, yeah, but I the, really liked it. In the present day, Rip says he's the only one who knows that she has a big heart. Yes. So, I'm like, is that why we don't actually hate Beth? Because there's been this, like, sliver of humanity in her? I think because she's so strong and powerful, too. Like, you like to see that. Yeah, like, the, I don't know, but the she, flip side, too. We you see a lot on her, too. Like, she is a complex character. She's very broken and traumatized, but also strong. And, and then seeing her sort of angry to tantrums is just fun to watch. There's lots of reasons we like watching her, but sometimes she does have a little bit of a human side, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> But Rip reminds us of that. And that's what, and that's uh, I know. So I'm like, is that why we don't hate her? Because we do know that she does have this softer side. Yeah. So the significance of this flashback, what do you think this means with the Beth and Rip from the back younger days? It's huge. I wrote down in my notes, this is huge because she apologized. Yes. That's 100%. what I, that to me is the biggest takeaway that she saw something she remembered her behavior and was like, man. And then she started talking about, I messed it up and we missed out on so much. She even, a quote unquote, said we needed what it took from them. Um, so to me, this is a huge sort of moment for her to be honest and vulnerable and real and say, like, I did that and I'm sorry. That was that was huge. But I liked seeing this flashback. She has always been such a bitch. Oh my gosh, this poor Rip. She like makes him take him on a date. And then she just is so mean. Uh, oh my gosh, it's so funny. Like we know that she's been hard to him the whole time. Like literally yes. from the day that he arrived on the ranch. And we've seen those flashbacks. But was this also showing us how Beth honed some of her like seductive yes. and manipulative I mean, abilities? Yeah, she's always been that way. She learned early on that, you know, you can use what you got to get what you want. So and she says that, not be a victim of it. Exactly. So I think this is her testing that out. She's clearly underage at a bar getting a martini. So, but I don't know why she did this to Rip. Like, it's just, it's like we used to, I think we've said before that she used to treat him like kind of like a play thing or whatever. Like just, and she does that with men. She like sort of plays with their emotions or their confidence or their pride or whatever. 
And we see that all the time, especially this episode and the next. But yeah, so it's sort of flashing back to that she's always been doing this. And it's sort of sad to see her do it to Rip. He's just some, you know, like, poor little guy. And he's like, okay, I guess I'll take you on a date. And then she's just so mean to him. And he's like, what? I Okay, I guess, I guess I'm going to go now. Yeah. <laughs> like, but this is geez. also horrendous, too, because it also shows how she's tortured by her own abilities or her own sentiments like the things that she does she's still haunted by so that was you know Mm -hmm. she's 40 ish now she was 18 and that she's off to college you know so you're talking 20 years of of you know this is still it's waking her up from sleep yeah so it's still it haunts her so you know i think this is also a reason why we don't hate beth because she does have these moments of humility and when you see the past of something, sorry, when you see someone's past and you see the way that they were hurt or broken, you know, when we saw the way her mom spoke to her, mm-hmm. when she felt like that gives you compassion for someone like that was so not her fault. And your dying mother blamed it on you. Like, that's pretty traumatic. Like, that's not nothing. I think when you see her humanity, the things that have happened to her, you sort of get her sort of level, her wall, her level of defense, her why she acts that way as defending herself against anyone who could see who she really is. So the only other thing I wanted to mention about this flashback and this apology in the kitchen was sort of this concept. She mentions that we needed all that time and it robbed us of so much, but I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think if Rip and Beth have been together since they were 18, we'd be seeing a completely different situation. They have separately gone through so much, and I don't think that they would be Rip and Beth without those like separate lives. No, I agree with that. I don't think that. I don't think they would have been together since they were eighteen. I don't think that would have been. She needed to go out the world to (laughs) appreciate what she has, and even then, it's been kind of a rocky road to this point. Like, there's no way they would still be together if they had tried to date when they were eighteen. Right, but I appreciate the growth that they're trying to give Beth. Yeah. And and this this might temper some of that irritation that I'm feeling with the whole Jamie arc with her. Yeah. Yes, it's terrible what he did, and I'm not making any apologies for it, but there does need to be this moving on. And I feel like this might be the way in which we get this growth from Beth, because if these characters don't develop, they stagnate and die and people yeah. lose interest. And Rip hit it on the head, too. He's like, you, you know, he told her, you just need something to be angry about. And that's who she is. She needs that anger or something to fight. But then he told her, just find a way to be happy. Right. <laughs> you know, and that's really what it is. Like, Beth, just chill. Find a way to be happy. Like, Maybe get some therapy, <laughs> like yeah. you know, Maybe and some that's mood stabilizer, something yeah. besides alcohol. You know, <laughs> it was so sweet stabilizer. of him to say that to her, and but to recognize, like, you need to stop fighting everyone around you and everything, and just find a way to be happy. And that is true. That's that's where she's at. She needs some happiness in her life. This girl, my goodness. And I think it's also telling what you just kind of touched on that he knows her, and he can yeah. see her. And he can give her that kind of advice where I don't feel like anybody else, mm-hmm. maybe John, maybe, maybe, I'm not sure, could say something like that to her and have her not hit back hard. You can't just offer her friendly, constructive criticism. I don't think that would go well. No, I think that, as Jake would say, that would go over like a fart in church. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> 
Oh, I could just rewatch this morning before we recorded this, um, the know. season four season finale. I love our bunkhouse boys. Yes. They are so cute. I love Ryan. He's so cute. And he's grown out his hair. It just, it looks I know. good. I like it. Um, before we get to the bunkhouse boys, though, I do want to talk about Rainwater and market equities because like, I feel like the John mm-hmm. election governor role, you know, it has the, these ripple effects. So Thomas Rainwater or market equities, who do you want to talk about first? I'm going to talk about Rainwater and Mo and Angela Blue Thunder. She's back. <laughs> She's back. I, I thought she yeah. was in season four and I had gone back and no, she was not. She was only in season three and that does not seem that long ago. So yeah, so there's this. That. I feel like, okay, my statement with Jamie, why are you still here? I feel this way about Angela Blue Thunder. Like I don't understand what she does or who she is or why she is there. I do like her. I like how angry she is. She looks very not happy. She looks even angrier now than she did when we saw her in season three. She looks very angry. And her lipstick has gotten a little darker and angrier. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, so they're watching this um, election unfold, John accepting the governorship. I don't feel like we get much information out of our friends at the Broken Rock reservation but basically other than like well this isn't good what is the role here with rainwater and mo and angela because i don't feel like we've seen much from them in the last few seasons we haven't had they used to be a pretty big adversary and now they're sort of just there so what's coming what's happening here this is where sort of my question about this was like you know Tom Rainwater is not, he's on the fence if, if John being governor is good for him. He's not sure yet. He, he knows he's going to cancel the casino hotel that they have, that they have as part of this Markwood Equities development. But, you know, these two have been frenemies, right? They've been enemies. They've been allies. Um, yeah. And it, it's hard to know where they stand because ultimately Rainwater and Angela want what John has, right? So with the canceling of the Markwood Equities development that, you know, John promises, you know, as part of his campaign acceptance, sorry, his governor acceptance and his inauguration, making this an inhospitable place for outsiders, they stand to lose a lot of money from this hotel casino being canceled. And I'm sure that members of their tribe are also going to feel that same way. So like, I'm just asking the question kind of out loud in the early moments of the season, is there going to be some sort of retaliation? Is this the season that we see Rainwater flex his muscles? That's what I'm wondering, too. Because there's also pressure now from Angela. She's back and she says something to him at the inauguration. She says to Rainwater at the inauguration, it's slave rules for you now. And it's all your fault. And she blames him for John becoming governor. I feel like there's going to be like this additional pressure from Angela representing probably interested parties from the Broken Rock tribe against the pushback to the Markwood Equities development. They seemed you know, like a big threat in early seasons. And then the past, you know, two seasons, maybe they've sort of, like you said, this frenemy situation. So they don't seem that scary to John at the moment. So that's what I'm wondering is what's coming. Are they going to make a big move now that John has canceled all of this revenue for them or not? You know, it doesn't. I just feel like Angela is the wrinkle here. Like, I feel like, you know, Rainwater would have had his play, but she's going to force him to do things that he doesn't want to do. 
I guess so, yeah. And I'm wondering but what, what the But what power are. does she have? Why does she have a say over him? I don't, that's what I'm asking. Like, I'm confused. I mean, I went back to see, like, he brought her in to fight yeah. this Markwood Equities development initially. So he brought her in, but she's definitely like not as a businesswoman slash what slash lawyer or what you know. And that's yeah. what I'm saying. So I don't know why she is so scary to Rainwater and Mo. I, mean, I was surprised sage- they didn't sage the room again. I didn't see any sage this time around. I guess maybe they just have it out all the time now. Yeah, right. They're just gonna keep it going. So yeah, I'm very curious. I want to see more. I like seeing Rainwater and Mo in our scenes in our episodes so i definitely want to see more from them and i want to know what's going to happen next yeah because last season rainwater's the one who snagged chester the guy who put the party together against the duttons and you know that was their sort of alliance with john like you know working with him to to get the answers on who tried to kill him i mean he said he did that because Whoever did that to John's coming after them next, which makes sense. But yeah, he that was like a very helpful thing for him to do right, for John. I mean, so John also yeah. showed up with a gun, like tucked into his right. waistband. Yeah. So, you know, like yeah, there's yeah. there's trust <laughs> to an extent. To an extent. I very much want to see more from them and I want to see what happens next. And I kind of want to see something big, to be honest. Yeah. This like was, I'm kind of tired of them playing nice. I know this was kind of <laughs> muted, but who was not muted? was Caroline Warner. Oh, yes. She so threw she's really the only the other wall. one that I kind of have to talk about here. Yes. I uh, like her. <laughs> so Markwood Equity's headquarters is definitely not happy about John's election. I, felt, no. I feel bad for glasses in this show. I have to tell you. They they spend a lot of money they on drinking glasses. on stem. Not is stem. No. Glass drink. Yeah. yeah, like John's hurled many a glass <laughs> into the fireplace at the ranch. And Carolyn doesn't just take it out on the glass this night. She also goes after the the whole decanter. The whole thing is just, you know. I'm going to be a carpenter in Montana. That's what I'm going to be. I'm going to fix walls in Montana. (laughs) (laughs) I'll make a a killing. I'll make a killing. Not a literal killing. I'm not going to the train station. (laughs) Um, One of the things that struck me about this scene was that Beth in the last season had talked about how poised Caroline Warner was that she had composure and she liked that about her. This was when her and Ellis met in the bar. Yeah. And she was insulting Ellis and trying to be yes. like very bombastic. And Caroline was kind of like not reacting to, she was unflappable. Like, you know, she could yeah. not, you she know, like, be, be I know you're... exactly like you said, like, you know, like I knew what I was getting into with you. Yeah. This is the complete opposite of that. She is <laughs> screaming. She is hurling things. <laughs> but Ellis is the one now who sees through the bullshit, right? He yeah. sees that Jamie's the outcast and wants to exploit that. What does that mean? And who is the Sarah Atwood that yeah, who's Sarah summoning, Atwood? conjuring? Bring me Sarah Atwood. Yes, it was like this conjuring, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was a huge reaction from Caroline Warner. Uh, you know, like you said, especially considering she's so put together, poised, or or knows what's coming next. But I don't know. I always like seeing people lose their shit. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Uh, so, I don't know. I, I don't think that she's going to be, you know, like burning their house or anything, but she's definitely ready to fight. I thought she would have been a little bit more prepared. I mean, this is, a campaign is 
It does not happen overnight. She knew this was coming. Surely there was some sort of pre-election polls that were giving her an indication that this could happen. So I would think she'd already have her team assembled or whatever. But yeah, I think their fight's going to be legal action and all that. But so I definitely think whoever Sarah Atwood is and Ellis are, they're going to have some sort of plan to give Jamie an offer you can't refuse or help us do this or I don't know. I don't think they have any dirt on him to use. So they're going to have to come up with some sort of offer that's enticing. Well, they've also already done business with him. He's the one who signed the lease. So it's not like he's a new character to them. So, but something Ellis sees on this election night coverage makes him see an opportunity, I suppose. And and I guess this Sarah Atwood that they're summoning from the depths of hell, it sounds like, um, (laughs) is somebody who will be able to exploit Jamie, I guess, to the next level. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, and what he will do because I'm sure whatever they come to him with will be of interest to him. <laughs> uh, so what what will he choose? I want to move on and talk about our lovely, cute bunkhouse boys. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I enjoy them so much. I really do. I'm still. We have Teeter. She's back. <laughs> Yeah, but she's I don't a know. Easier I to still, understand. Uh, Are I we just know. used to her, or she's easier to understand? I think we're used to her. She's still not my favorite character, but I get it. It's fine. It's whatever. She's got some good biceps, so I'm, I'm all about that. It's fine. But <laughs> I loved this scene of them in the bunkhouse, like getting ready for this inaugurational <laughs> ball. And it's so, I just wrote down, like, this is what happens, okay? You're with your siblings and you're arguing with them back and forth. And you're like, Jake wants to wear a dress. No, you want to wear a dress. And then the parent walks in and is like, what the hell are y'all talking about? If anybody wears a damn dress in here, you know, like, it was yeah. so like a parental moment. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, that happened to me all the time. I'd be arguing with my sisters and, your dad walks in, and then you get in trouble. Like, but I didn't do it. And so I felt like that's how it was with Jake. He's like, I'm not going to wear a dress. He's like, Jake, if you wear a damn dress, I'm going to hang you in. <laughs> like, right. Meanwhile, it was Ryan so funny. and Teeter and Colby's yeah. dancer that brought that on. I was dying. I was like, this is awesome. Like, this is so, it's like siblings and the like angry dad who's like, I just want to get some sleep around here. You guys shut up. Exactly. So initially I thought when they were getting ready for the party, because like it, it just, like, they just showed up. I initially thought it was like the weddings that Beth had threatened last season. Cause like I said, like I just watched season oh, four. Oh, right. Yeah. So okay. Initially I, I wasn't thinking that I they were forgot about that. The, she did plan a wedding, right? Like she was saying that she was going to, you know, a revenue stream was going to be weddings yes. and there was going to be, you know, a tent in the, in the, the corral kind of a thing. Okay. So initially yeah. I thought that I didn't think that they would be having the governor's inaugurational ball at, uh, am I saying that right? Inaugural ball at, yeah. um, at the Dutton ranch. But I, I guess that does make the most logical sense. Also, the band that was playing is Shane Smith. So we actually heard a lot of his songs from last season. These guys must be friends with Taylor Sheridan in real life because he mentioned them, you know, last season. in an episode, yes. When him and Jimmy were driving back. And he was like, you know, turn it on or whatever. So they were listening to him on the radio. I'm like, these guys have to be like their BFFs or whatever. So as soon as they were on the stage, I was like, I wonder who that is. And then he said Shane Smith and the Saints. I'm like, oh, yep, totally know who that is. So just a random side note, you know, we have that Spotify playlist that we have collected some songs from Yellowstone. So there's definitely some Shane Smith on there. But it's because, yeah, Um, it's because of... um, Taylor Sheridan's character, Travis, mentioning it in all these shows. So here they are again from Austin, Texas, all (laughs) the way in Montana. Yes, but um, they're definitely killing it at 
the inaugural ball for sure. Mm -hmm. And they look like they're having a good time up there. So Rip was not having it. He was not into this. Uh -uh. He didn't like it. Didn't even participate. No, he was like, what the hell is all this bullshit? So he's not feeling too good about all this stuff happening. But also, like, he's laying on a field on the hill. So, like, anybody yeah. at the party could see him. <laughs> like, he's out on Is display. he pouting? I think he's pouting. Yeah. But, like, Beth kind of comes up to him and he's waxing poetic on how, like, John is going to lose the ranch. Like, he's sitting here watching Rome burn and he mentions Emperor mm-hmm. Nero from the Roman Empire. And, you know, he asked Beth who was, like, playing the fiddle as Rome burned. So what is he seeing with John as governor here? It's almost like he sees something that the rest of them don't see. Or maybe he's, that's sort of his viewpoint on it. But it's like he, maybe he thinks that they're sort of losing sight of the actual ranch and focusing on all this legal leases and contracts and all that stuff. I mean, it's just interesting that he likens it back to this Emperor Nero, who is just basically seen as an ineffectual leader, um, who basically sort of wasn't paying attention as the wheels of government sort of fell down all around him. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm just wondering if he's thinking that maybe like what you said, like if John's not watching the ranch, that he's going to be missing something potentially big and... Ultimately, this is going to be the demise of the ranch because he's just not there to watch it, to be yeah. its steward, right? I'm going to come back to that word that John used twice in this episode, that he's going to be a steward of Montana. He's going to miss sort of the day-to-day dealings at the ranch. Yeah. Well, it can't, that brings up the point of John seeing Carter and Carter being so different. Like how oh. much time, you know, if it's been that long since you've seen him, then John hasn't been there at all. And so right. who's running the ranch? Rip? Is he the one making all the decisions on spending the money on this veterinarian visit or this or that? Or, you know, like changing this field into that field, moving the cattle from here to there. Those are all, that's a lot of decisions, a lot of things to be mindful of. And then clearly John hasn't been there at all. Maybe it just feels to Rip like John's not paying attention or doesn't care to be there anymore. You know, like maybe he feels abandoned. Maybe he's sad and lonely. <laughs> Sorry. That could also be part of it, that he's, you know, his sort of security blanket is gone. Yeah. And, like, there's upheaval to the way in which the ranch is being run. Maybe this is, like, a foreshadowing on Rip's part of John's own mortality. Yeah. Because John says something to Carter, oh, looking at you makes me think of the time that I don't have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, obviously looking at Carter, a year does a lot to a teenage boy. Does it do that much, though? My gosh. I mean, technically in real life, it's only been a year, right? But geez, he did eat the fertilizer. I'm like, dang. Yeah. So, I mean, Carter shot up, obviously, and his voice changed, so he's no longer... uh, I say that to my kids all the time. I'm like, please stop growing. And they go, I can't. I know. I know. (laughs) Please stop. But maybe Uh, that's the connection. Maybe there's like some, like John's thinking about his own mortality and Rip is thinking about, you know, like if John's absent now... Mm-hmm. It's only a matter of time before he's absent forever, right? Even and then more, what does that yeah. I mean, and I'm not Shit. saying that John's gonna die this season. Like, don't at me, people. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, he is at a stage of his life where he does have to think about these things, and being confronted with something as stark a contrast as Carter. Carter, yeah. You know, it, it gives someone a moment's pause. 
Right. And he even And I think that might be part of why John's so upset about actually being governor is that I'm not going to live forever. I don't really want to spend all my time in a suit at an office. This is a waste of my time. Yeah. So I think that's probably part of it, too, is if I were at that stage of my life, I wouldn't want to be behind a desk all day either. So I think that might be part of his temper tantrum. (laughs) I don't want to be here anymore. Temper tantrums this episode. (laughs) Yeah. So really, I, I've been dreading this next section so <sighs> yeah. badly. But let's talk about Casey first before we talk about uh, Monica. Okay, so, fine. Uh, so let me phrase this question first before we talk about what Casey was off doing and, and how goddamn sexy that all was. <laughs> what does it mean that none of the Casey Dutton family, so Casey, Monica, nor Tate, were at the election night? celebrations the inauguration or the inaugural party does this have anything to do with his vision no i don't think so i think it has to do with the past events that tate had to like shoot a guy in the kitchen you know and it came to the point that monica and tate needed to be away from there in order to heal and recover i think that's what casey's focusing on is just his immediate little family with those two and doing what's best for them. And so I just feel like it's like they live in a, you know, your family lives a few hours away or whatever. You don't see them that often, maybe on the weekends. That's how it feels to me. Like they're still there. They're still part of the family, but they've kind of had to have this little separation from the ranch. But these are some big events that they are yeah. noticeably absent. Okay, Monica, you can understand, well, especially at the inauguration, yeah. because she's so pregnant, right? But, like, the election night, that's a couple months before. I've kind of lost track of why Tate and John still don't have a relationship. Because they were, you know, going camping and all of these things. Right, and, and, right. and then spending a lot of time with him, yeah. And now he's riding horses with Carter instead of Tate. So where, how did that happen? Like, what happened there? I feel like we missed that story. Um, so I've always been, a lately I've been a little confused about why Tate and John don't seem to have that anymore so that's kind of been more of a question to me over why is casey not there you know they're busy yeah. they're they're having well, a baby like, like there's things com- to do yeah i feel like comes down to monica and her wanting to mm-hmm. distance herself from the yeah. ranch and then with tate being an extension of herself i mean he got kidnapped like right. just, there's a lot of things that happen that ranch that are pretty traumatic and maybe she in some way blames john for that kidnapping that you know john yeah. was watching him and you know sent him down to take care of his horse because tate had forgotten and didn't think about the the possibilities i mean not that anyone yeah. thinks that a kid's going to be kidnapped but at the same time you know maybe there is some blame there maybe she doesn't yeah. trust john she doesn't want tate around him like i could definitely see that being a storyline or being a thought in monica's mind and her not going out of her way to exactly. see john or have tate interact with him because she just simply doesn't trust him i could see how that you would need some space from that family yeah member. Yeah. yeah it stuck out that they weren't at like at least the election night or the yeah, inaugural party, that. anything like that. I mean, again, Monica being as pregnant as she was would get the pass on the inauguration yeah. part. But isn't it for the politicians? Like, don't they usually have their grandkids up there and their yeah, you know, like that's like, what I was like there's a, a lot of little kids smiling with big bows and things and but that's really if you want to play that game. And I don't yeah, think that John wants to play it. that game. And I don't think he's thinking of the the optics. I love the, you know I love that that word gets used over that you know in that word like realm. It's just like you know the yeah. optics of it. Like I don't think he gives a crap. So. so so I have a question Casey. about Casey mm-hmm. and his 
takedown. So the, the, the sexy part down. of it was the takedown in the river of, you know, <laughs> it started last season. I'm going to be honest with you. And I, we were all watching one episode together uh, when I was in Texas visiting you guys last year. Yeah. And it was when they were taking down like the people that they found involved in the like the Dutton hit. Right. And they, you know, mm-hmm. they had the cop cars and. and um, oh, right. Donnie yeah, yeah. was involved and like rip, yes. was ripping a guy out of a Jeep and stuff like that. I was like, damn, that was oh, sexy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just a sexy takedown. <laughs> and, you know, so this scene of them chasing the horse thieves for me, I think the cinematography was really well done. Again, I saw this in this movie theater. Right. So. Right. Oh, for me, be this good. was a huge scene, you know, unfolding in front of me. The music was loud, like it surrounded mm-hmm. me. It, it was just, it was high drama and it was just like a really well done scene. But the question that I have for you, is there any significance to the tension that we just saw between the Canadian officials and the Livestock Commission or Casey in particular? I wouldn't think so. To me, it didn't seem that significant. It seemed big enough for me to draw him away from the inauguration. Well, I was wondering why it was so far from home to do this. Like, I kind of looked it up on a map. To be at the border of Montana and Canada, it's pretty far away from Bozeman and Billings, which is somewhat near the ranch, correct? Okay. So, I mean, that's pretty far from home. On hor- I mean, I know he didn't ride there on horseback, but I'm saying he's out there with his horse. That, like, I don't know. It just didn't. Like, why does Casey have to be there? So I didn't understand exactly why he was there over, say, some other branch of his team. I mean, I know he's the commissioner and all that, but yeah, it, it might just have just been something was that was kind of like, confusing to me. Pursu- I was like, why? Yeah, why are like we they here? might have been in pursuit, and that's where they ended up. I don't know. I feel like the only point of the scene was to be sexy and and dramatic, and it was you know we like seeing all of these takedowns on horseback, but just to build up the storyline that he was far away from Monica and couldn't be there for her. So that to me was the only point of this particular scene. Uh, was just sort of removing Casey from being right by Monica. I just, I just always ask the question because I'm just like, well, well, why? You know, just yeah. Uh, this is so hard to watch. I mean, okay. So um, I'm glad that he, you know, he calls to check in. That's fine. She's in labor. No, Monica. Why would you drive? Mm-mm. Especially, right. it's far. Like you know, right. it's far. You've done this before. You've driven to the hospital for your uh, checkups. Like, you know it's far. I'm sure Tate is fully capable of driving that far. I know he's, what, 12? I don't know. But he lived, He grew up on a ranch. Like, the kid right. can drive a mule. He can drive a little car. It's fine. Yeah. But I mean, or like, call an ambulance. Or there has to be somebody else nearby that can drive you. Yeah. What What happened to Papa Felix? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it might be a little late at night. It might not be a night driver. We don't know. <laughs> Um, it's cataract. <laughs> maybe something like that. But like, why uh, not just stay in place? Yeah, and let the ambulance come to you. Yes, it's far, but I mean, it sucks. But babies have a way of doing their thing on their own time. Yeah, like it, it, it could be fine. It just, it just made no sense. It did. You're right, and it was awful to watch. Like, I mean, she did a really good job of the pain enactment. Because, gosh. It sounded painful. Um, And then poor Tate is so scared. He's like, Mom, seriously, can I drive? Like, I don't I don't want to see it. I didn't want to hear it. I mean, as soon as you see that buffalo wandering into the street, you knew it was coming. So And then the other guy in the in the pickup truck, you know, looking for the the bottom of the bag of the Doritos or whatever he was eating. But yeah, I mean, you just knew this was gonna be an awful scene. Um, but like, but why? Why have her be pregnant and lose the baby? 
Like these two. I mean, have we been literally so were much. just talking about how yeah, how much Tate and Monica have been through. Like, why this too? Like, I don't understand. Like, this is things that people don't come back from as a couple. These are things that break people up. Yeah. And if you're strong enough to survive it, God bless you. But I've also known people who have not survived a yeah. catastrophic event like this. Intact as a couple. I don't know what that answer is, but it, it was just, I mean, you and I both have kids and it's gut-wrenching if you don't have a kid to see something like this, but it's so much worse to watch yeah. it as knowing that, you you know, this is a possibility for some people. For this to be the end of the episode, it was just like so sad. Poor Tate. Oh my gosh. And but again, is- I still feel that way about Monica. Like this woman has been through so freaking much with this so Family. why this? Right. You know? And then what's the significance then of naming the baby John? Right. Would that have been Monica's choice? I don't, I don't know. I don't see why not. Like, I think that Casey and her, they seem like the kind of couple that would have decided something. Like, not been like, oh, we're naming him John. But something that they agreed upon. But yeah, so that, you know, the kid's name is John Dutton. And now he's dead. I'm linking it back to like the mortality statement that John said before about seeing Carter and thinking about the time that he doesn't have left. And now, you know, now there's a baby John Dutton. There's a John Dutton that's dead. Yeah. You know, like what is that going to do to John's sort of confidence in himself and his own abilities? I don't know. There's just a lot there. There's a lot of emotions wrapped up in in this realm of humanity. Mm -hmm. This is a lot. (laughs) This is a lot. It kind of made my stomach turn this whole last 10 minutes or so of the episode. I was like, I was doing fine up until now. Yeah, it was a pretty like chill enough episode. And then I was like, wait, laying out who who are the baddies? And, you know, then we thought that we're going to have like a nice little baby, at least to keep our mind off of things. And now this. Oh, gosh. Well, on that note, (laughs) there's the end of our episode. That is the end of the episode. Um, I'm going to try to like, I'm going to try to reclaim the mood here. So (laughs) now knowing that we have a 14 episode season, we have one down and 13 more to go. Do you have any big predictions for this season? Not yet. I'm not ready to make a prediction, but I think you and I, we've talked about a couple of things. So we definitely need to see why Jamie's there, what what he's sort of going to do next. Sort of that question of, is Beth going to prison? Or I don't know. She's been pretty pivotal in this campaign. So it seems like that's not happening. Um, so I don't know. There's a lot of sort of legal or sort of technical questions around the governorship and the ranch and all that. But then sort of ending our episode with something that's traumatic as this, it's like brings it back to, okay, the family aspect of it and what's going to happen between Casey and Monica and then that family dynamic as well. So, All right. So the only thing that I can think of is the way to redeem this baby John situation is perhaps somehow this brings them closer as a family, that it, it mm. brings about the thing that John feels is lacking. When he has a comment in the car, I don't think John lasts as governor. I don't know what is going to take him <laughs> out as governor. I just don't think that he's got the survival or the longevity to to put up with the crap that is going to come his way. And even when he, even with the opening scene, when he was going out for his election night acceptance speech, I'm like, this is not him. Like he's not going to Montana's. I don't know how many governors they said that he is. I don't think that he's finishing out his campaign and his campaign, mm. his role as governor. I don't think he is. I think maybe somehow Jamie 
might end up in the governor's spot. I don't know. Whoa. He's not the lieutenant governor. I know he's the attorney general. But I, if I had to make sort of like a weird power play kind of a prediction. Interesting. Yeah. Like that's that's really dun, dun, all I'm dun. thinking about is that I, I don't think John, you know, because John ate up most of this episode. So I'm kind of, yeah. I'm kind of focused on him. I don't know if it's a we'll prediction. Well, yeah, I guess it is a prediction. Like it's, it's kind of like where I would imagine they could take this scene, I suppose. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I am definitely excited for our next episode. Me too. So many things to find out. So I'm excited. This is only one uh, hour. Damn it. I know. <laughs> We've only covered one episode. We had a lot to say, but it's been a long time. We had a lot to catch up on. Time. So there's been a, and there was a lot to unpack. Thank you to everyone for listening and tuning in, rating, subscribing, liking, sharing, anything that you do to help us. We appreciate it. Please tune in next time for episode two and send us any questions or comments you have on Twitter or wherever you find us. That's even on Facebook. True. And then also, don't forget, next episode, we will have the Gil Birmingham interview, and you'll get to hear his sort of take on where season five is going. And yeah, we'll see you again next time. Thanks so much for listening. This is Steph. And this is Sheila. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.